We're in Daniel uh, chapter 4. <clears throat> so if you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to look at that this morning because we are going to be looking at Nebuchadnezzar's personal testimony. Okay, we like testimonies, don't we? Uh, last week, I think it was last week that Travis Johnson uh, shared his uh, dynamic ta- testimony as, as, as how he came to, to faith in Christ. And I know many of you appreciated his story in particular. Well, Nebuchadnezzar has one of those stories this morning. And as we look at Daniel chapter 4, most of Daniel chapter 4 is uh, written, told in first personal singular. That means this is Nebuchadnezzar's story. He is telling us how God changed his life. So um, God, God had to take him through a very extreme condition to get his attention. And uh, we'll be walking through that this morning. But let me just read, begin with verses 1 through 3. King Nebuchadnezzar to all peoples, nations, languages that dwell in all the earth. Okay, this is Nebuchadnezzar's testimony to everybody, including us this morning. Peace be multiplied to you. It has seemed good to me to show you the signs and wonders that the Most High God has done for me. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and his dominion endures from generation to generation. Nebuchadnezzar is introducing to us this message. His testimony says, the world, you, us, God's followers, everybody on planet Earth, you need to pay attention to what God has done in my life. Now, um, how old is Nebuchadnezzar? We're not sure how old he is. He's, um, uh, we know this is probably about 30 years beyond chapter 1. So Daniel, who we'll he- we will hear from as well in chapter 4, Daniel's probably between the ages of 45 and 50 years old. And so Nebuchadnezzar, he's most likely in his 60s, I would imagine, but we, but we don't know for sure. But again, it's, this, uh, most of this chapter is in the first person singular, Nebuchadnezzar's words. And let me just break this down. It's on your outline this morning, but uh, we see... Um, Nebuchadnezzar's decree in verses 1 through 3, and then in verses 4 through 18, uh, Nebuchadnezzar has a dream, and uh, he's looking for an interpreter to interpret this dream. Then verses 19 through 27, uh, Daniel, it, we read about Daniel's interpretation of Nebuchadnezzar's dream. Verses 28 through 33 is the fulfillment of the dream. 34 through 37 is the healing and doxology. But uh, the purpose of um, this chapter is we are looking at God's divine discipline. Uh, God is wanting us to get the message that he rules everything. Okay, And we're going to see that 
on four separate occasions in this chapter. This is the key message of Daniel chapter 4. God rules and we drool. Okay? Don't forget that. So, um, let's go to um, Neb's dream in verses 4 through 18. Uh, let's look at verse 4. We're not going to read verses 4 through 18 because we're going to go through it a little bit more carefully in the interpretation. But this is what's happening in Nebuchadnezzar's life at the moment. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and prospering in my palace. Life was good for Babylon. Life was good for the king. And he was feeling really good about himself. Had no issues. Everyone was getting along. And the Bible says, I saw a dream that made me afraid. As I lay in bed, the fancies and the visions of my my head alarmed me. So he had a dream that... um, greatly alarmed him. And so what did he do? Uh, Scripture goes on to say that he called together the magicians, the enchanters, the astrologers, you know, everybody that uh, he anticipated an answer from in chapter 2. And they could never, um, well, in that, in chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar made it a little bit more difficult. He made these astrologers and enchanters and whoever tell him what his dream was in chapter 2. That's not the case in chapter 4. He makes it a little easier and he tells them the dream and then is looking for the interpretation. In chapter chapter 4, they they don't even know what the interpretation of the dream is. And so, frustrated by that, he finally calls Daniel... In verse 8, let's look at verse 8 of uh, Daniel 4. At last Daniel came in before me, who was named Belteshazzar, after the name of my God, in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. And I told him the dream, saying, and then he goes on and tells Daniel the dream. And so where is um, Nebuchadnezzar spiritually this point he doesn't have he doesn't have a relationship with god he knows that daniel is special and uh and that daniel has a holy god a um a sub god uh that helps daniel he recognizes that in 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 a way in his polytheistic faith and knows that daniel can interpret the dream and so he tells uh Daniel, whose name is Belteshazzar, according to a uh, Babylonian god, the the dream. And so let's look at verses 10 through 18, and we will um, read about Nebuchadnezzar's dream. The visions of my head as I lay in bed were these. I saw and behold a tree in the midst of the earth, and its height was great. The tree grew and became strong, and its top reached to heaven, and it was visible to the end of the whole earth. Its leaves were beautiful, and its fruit in abundant 
it, and its fruit abundant, and in it was food for all. The beasts of the field found shade under it, and the birds of the heavens lived in its branches, and all flesh was fed from it. I saw in the visions of my head as I lay in bed, and behold, a watcher, a holy one, came down from heaven. He proclaimed aloud and said thus, Chop down the tree and lop off its branches and strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the beast flee from under it and the birds from its branches, but leave the stump of its roots in the earth bound with a band of iron and bronze amid the tender grass of the field. Let him be wet with the dew of heaven. Let his portion be with the beasts in the grass of the earth. Let his mind be changed from a man's, and let a beast's mind be given to it, and let seven periods of time pass over him. The sentence is is by the decree of the watchers, the decision by the word of the holy ones to the end that the living may know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will and sets over it the lowliest of men. This dream I, King Nebuchadnezzar, saw, and you, O Belshazzar, tell me the interpretation because of all the wise men of my kingdom are not able to make known to me the interpretation. But you are able, for the spirit of the holy gods is in you. And so this is Nebuchadnezzar's dream. And so Nebuchadnezzar says, Okay, Daniel, tell me the dream. What does this mean? No pressure, Daniel. Tell me what this dream means. And so in verses 19 through 27, Daniel interprets the dream. Now, as we look at the beginning of that passage of Scripture, Daniel is very disturbed because he knows who the tree is. And he's afraid. I mean, he respects King Nebuchadnezzar. He, he, he respects his boss. Uh, and uh, he's, he's afraid how Nebuchadnezzar is going to respond. And Nebuchadnezzar, in verse 19, says, Daniel, it's okay. Tell me the interpretation. And so Daniel does. He says, Nebuchadnezzar, you are the tree. In essence, what he's saying, the dream is saying, is your influence, your care, uh, the s- stock markets, Um, The tide has risen in Babylon. Life is going well, and it's all because of the tree. You have become strong, Nebuchadnezzar. Um, But then he goes on to say in verse 23, the watcher. Who is the watcher? What has he come to do? The watcher has come, and he's going to chop down the tree except for the root. In essence, what God is doing here is Daniel is saying, God is going to humble you, Nebuchadnezzar. 
in, ex- in an extreme way. But his discipline is going to have a limit. The root is going to be protected by, um, by bronze and iron, I, I believe. But the root is going to be safeguarded. And then Daniel goes on to say, but you, Nebuchadnezzar, are going to lose your kingdom for seven years. It's going to be removed from your influence. In verses 24 and 25, let's look at that for just... Verse 24 says, and this is the interpretation, O O king... It is a decree of the Most High which has come upon my Lord the King that you shall be driven from among men and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field and you shall be made to eat grass like an ox and you shall be wet with the dew of heaven and seven periods of time shall pass over you till you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. Nebuchadnezzar, there's going to be seven years. There's going to be seven um, seasons that you are going to behave. You are going to live like an animal. You are going to live like a madman. You are going to go insane. Nebuchadnezzar, and they are going to be painful years. Why is this going to happen to Nebuchadnezzar? So that he might know, in verse 25, that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will please us. This is the second time that God is telling Nebuchadnezzar that it is God who rules over everything. The first is in verse 17, and now we see it for a second time in verse 25. And then in verses 26 and 27, he says this. Daniel says this. And it was commanded to leave the stump of the roots of the tree, your kingdom, shall be confirmed for you from the time that you know that heaven rules. Nebuchadnezzar, it's going to come back to you when you know that heaven rules everything. Therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed, that there may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity. So God wants Nebuchadnezzar to know that it's God who rules. Heaven rules everything. And Daniel goes on to say in verse 24, 27, that it's the Lord's desire for Nebuchadnezzar's heart that he breaks off his sin, that he repents of his sin, and that he practices righteousness by showing mercy to the oppressed. 
That's interesting that God tells a, a um, pagan king at this moment and a, um, a secular government that King Nebuchadnezzar, you have a responsibility to, to act in righteousness by caring for the poor, the, by, by taking care of the marginalized, the oppressed. That's your responsibility, uh, Nebuchadnezzar, as king. So interesting that God is saying this to a pagan king to care for the least of these. And this is not an unusual message because the prophet Micah, 120 years before uh, Daniel came on the scene, uh, the prophet Micah was the prophet to uh, the tribe of Judah as well. And this is what Micah says in Micah chapter 6, verse 8. He says, He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? And so, Church, those are instructions for us as well. We need to be conscientious of the oppressed, the marginalized, and uh, do what we can to care and reach out to them and minister to them, as well as uh, the government. But to be kind, to love kindness, and walk humbly uh, with our God. So that wasn't just Nebuchadnezzar's orders, but Judah's orders, and for the body of Christ's orders today, that we be conscientious of those things. That's one of the ways we walk in righteousness and break uh, break away from sin, uh, break away from the greed that is in this world today. And so that was Daniel's interpretation. And then we move on to the fulfillment of the dream in verses 28 through 33. And let me read those verses. All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of 12 months, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace, Babylon. And the king answered and said, Is not this great Babylon? which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty. Nebuchadnezzar is forgotten. Verse 31, while the words were still in the king's mouth, he hadn't even gotten them out yet, there fell a voice from heaven. O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you, and you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and you shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and seven periods of time shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will." The third time we hear that message, verse 33. And immediately the word was fulfilled with, 
against Nebuchadnezzar, and he was driven from among men and ate grass like an ox, and his body was wet with dew of heaven till his hair grew as long as eagles' feathers, and his nails were like birds' claws. God had given King Nebuchadnezzar 12 months, and King Nebuchadnezzar forgot. And one day the Bible says he was walking on his royal palace, and he was looking out over everything he had accomplished. And Babylon was an amazing city. And if you read about the archaeology of Babylon at this time, when uh, King Nebuchadnezzar uh, was in charge, um, all the bricks that were made during his lifetime, his rule, they were inscribed with his name. And so it was obvious who had built Babylon. And he made this arrogant statement in verse 30. Look what I have done. Look what I have accomplished. And before all the words came out of his mouth, uh, God had poured out his judgment upon Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar lost it. He became insane, and he lived like an animal. He was homeless. His hair wasn't cut during those seven years, never washed, never combed out. His nails were never trimmed. They just grew, and how disgusting his both his fingernails and his toenails must have been. I'm sure he was growing hair on his ears like I grow on my ears if I'm not getting a haircut and trimming my ears. And I'm sure his eyebrows were never trimmed as well. And so the king looked like an animal. And why did this take place? Because he didn't acknowledge who God is. He put all the credit upon himself. And for the third time, the Bible says in verse 32, you shall be driven from among men, and until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will, until you know that, King Nebuchadnezzar, you're going to live like an animal. You are going to be a madman. Boy, that that reminds me of an illustration I've shared with us before about a uh, Christian who's gone into this barbershop. He's in this big city, and uh, he's never been to this barbershop before, and he needs a haircut. And he sits down with this barber, and they get into a conversation, and the barber learns that this man is a Christian. And the barber, who's an atheist, tells this Christian, you know what, I just can't believe in God. You know, I can't believe that a a loving God, if, if God is so loving, why is there so much pain and suffering in this world today? If God truly was loving, he wouldn't allow this to occur. 
And this kind of caught the Christian off guard and didn't say a whole lot in the chair. Maybe he wasn't afraid not of making the barber mad. <laughs> Give him a bad haircut, I don't know. But uh, he left the barber shop, went outside, well, was l- walking through the city, and he saw a homeless guy that was unshaven, unkept, uh, filthy. And uh, he, he saw another person who was, who was homeless and, and in this big city. And he thought to himself, yeah, I need to share this. And he goes back to the barber shop and he tells the barber, you know what? I don't believe barbers exist. Because if barbers existed, there wouldn't be people out on the street today who look like they haven't had a haircut in years or completely unkept and, 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 uh, and you know, clean, clean shaven and cleaned up. And the barber said, that's ridiculous. You know barbers exist because I cut your hair. And the Christian said, and the atheist said, well, and, you know, if they would just come to me, I would cut their hair and, and give them a clean shave and, and clean them up. And the Christian said, exactly. You know, if people will come to the creator of the heaven and earth and acknowledge who he is, God will clean them up as well. God will change their life. Here we see King Nebuchadnezzar acting like an animal because he has refused to acknowledge who God is. And God has allowed this discipline to come into Nebuchadnezzar's life. Tell Nebuchadnezzar, when you acknowledge me, I will restore you. I will give back to you what you've lost and more. And so here we come to the healing and doxology in verses 34 through 37. Let me read this. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, now we're back into the first person singular, okay? We were in third person uh, in the middle of this chapter. But uh, these are Nebuchadnezzar's words again. I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my reason returned to me. And I blessed the Most High, and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation, and all the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, And he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. The fourth time that message is shared in this chapter. And none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? At the same time, my reason returned to me. And for the glory of my kingdom... My majesty and splendor returned to me. My counselors and my Lord sought me, and I was established in my kingdom, and still more greatness was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise 
and extol and honor the king of heaven. For all the works are right, his works are right, and his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. As soon as the king lifted his eyes, the Bible says his reason returned. You know, we live in a day and age that atheists tell us that uh, those who, who believe in God, they've lost their minds. But I submit to you this morning that the exact opposite happens when we refuse to acknowledge God and that He exists. And God is very clear in His words what happens to those who refuse to acknowledge Him. Romans chapter 1. You'll have it on your screen this morning. I'm not going to read all the verses, but let me read verses 20, 20 through 31. Well, the Bible says, For the For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. We are without excuse, church. Mankind has the ability to know that God exists if they just look at what God has created around them. Verse 21, For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. Verse 24, therefore, God has given them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They're living like animals. They exchange the truth about God for a lie and worship and serve created things rather than the creator. Just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind so that they, so that they do what ought not to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. They have been told their whole lives that they have evolved from animals and they have lived like it ever since. In church, we live in a society, a culture today, where our laws are based upon how animals behave. Let me share with you what the the Supreme Court Justice Clarence uh, Thomas said this this week in an um, opinion piece uh, upholding an anti-abortion law in Indiana. He wrote this on May 28th. He says that abortion 
is modern-day eugenics. And this is what he writes in his opinion piece. Abortion advocates were sometimes candid about abortion's eugenic possibilities. In 1959, for example, former Planned Parenthood president uh, Alan Guttmacher explicitly endorsed eugenic reasons for abortion. In a book written, Babies by Choice or by Chance, um, he explained that the quality of the parents must be taken into account, including feeble-mindedness, and believe that it should be permissible to abort any pregnancy in which there is a strong possibility, probability of an abnormal or malformed infant. He added that the question whether to allow abortion must be separated from the emotional and moral and religious concepts. Okay? We can't muddy the waters with morality and what and religion and must have as its focus normal healthy infants born into homes of people with parents who have healthy bodies and minds similarly legal scholar glanville williams wrote that he was open to the possibility of eugenic infanticide, at least in some situations explaining that a eugenic killing of a mother exactly paralleled by the female, uh, female dog that kills her mishapped puppies cannot confidently be pronounced immoral. So let's learn our morality and let's write our laws according to how animals behave. Let's learn our morality from them. God doesn't exist. We're here because of Evolution, we've evolved to this point, the atheist says. We, look what we have accomplished. And that there needs to be morality, but let's learn our morality from the animals. After all, that's where we come from ourselves. That's incredible. And so we write a law in 1973 that it is permissible to kill babies in the womb. Even through this year saying that up to and beyond birth, if the mother doesn't want it, the baby can be left to die. And so here we are since 1973 and Nearly 61 million babies have been murdered as a result because we refuse to acknowledge that there is a God. And if that's what we choose to believe, we're going to live like animals accordingly.
But King Nebuchadnezzar, in his personal testimony, said that when I looked up and acknowledged that there was one God who was over all, my sanity turned to me. And he wants all of us to get that message this morning, according to verses 1 through 3. God is opposed to the proud and gives grace to the humble. First Peter 5, 6 says, God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. God wants us to live and walk in humility and always know, always know that he rules. He is supreme. That anything and everything that we have, it all comes from him. We can take zero credit for it ourselves. It's all because of him. That needs to humble every one of us. And we ought to have a a heart of gratitude that says, Lord, how can I serve you? How can I be a blessing to others around me? How can I be a blessing in this church for all that you've done in my life? And I just want to chastise us for for just a moment. It came to my attention, but it's it's come to my attention that we have a heart issue in our church when it comes to serving our babies, our toddlers. You know what the hardest job in this church is? I've said this on several occasions. It's the preschool coordinator position. You've got to have really thick skin. You've got to be willing to take rejection really good to serve in this capacity. And, and we need to pray for Kiana. Kiana's doing a great job with what, what she can do. But I tell you, that is the hardest job in this church. And I don't know how Adele Crow did it for uh, the seven or eight years that she was in that capacity. Oh, 11, sorry. <laughs> so, bless you, sister. But, but you know what happens serving in that capacity? This person will make phone calls, send texts, just wanting to make connections with the people who are supposed to serve this next weekend. And she gets no response. 
And so she doesn't know what to do. And so she's having to call other people because she's got to make sure that those spots are filled. And she doesn't sleep very well during the week. Knowing that there's still some slots yet to be filled. You know what, church? And, and now, I'm not trying to put everybody here on a guilt trip this morning. If you're serving back there once a month, once every month, every month, thank you. I'm referring to those who ignore the calls. I'm referring to those parents who put their children back in the preschool area, but never volunteer to serve themselves. You know what? If you use it, you're expected to serve. Not every week. We know you need to be in church as well. But you know what? When we ignore the call, that's a heart attitude. That's not a heart of humility. Heart of humility says, how can I help? What can I do? And answer the call. If, if you've got a conflict the next week, that's fine. Okay, a, a humble heart says, I'm sorry, I can't do it this week, but when can I do it? Do you have needs the following week? Not just hope that, okay, I can't be here that Sunday, so two months from now, maybe I'll do it. I don't know, but you know what? No, a heart of humility says, how can I serve? So let's pray for the nursery coordinator. And let's help them. Let's respond to them. Because that's what a humble heart will do. Micah 6, 8. He has told you, man, what is good and what does the Lord require but to do justice, to love kindness, and walk humbly with your God. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for King's test, King Nebuchadnezzar's testimony. And God, how you radically changed his life when he acknowledged you. God, help us to acknowledge you each and every day. All that we have, all that is ours, all that has been accomplished has come from you. And may we never, ever forget that. And may it humble us to want to serve. God, so... For those of us here who are able-bodied and can't serve, not everybody in this service can serve, Lord. Some are here and their bodies have worn out. And yet, God, they're faithful to be here and to support this church and to serve how they can in this church. Thank you for them. For the rest of us, Lord, 
Show us how we can do better. In Jesus' name.